I got to, uh, I've got to report something to you this morning, and it really pains my heart to report uh, this to you. Uh, something has been stolen from me. Something's been stolen from me. It was something that was very precious to me. It was something that I'll probably never get back. Uh, once it's gone, it's gone from good, gone for good. What's been stolen from me is my manhood. Now I can remember being a man. I, I've got I've got guns at home. I've got I've got tools at home. Not that I know how to use all of them, but I got tools. And I've even got a truck, right? So those things you would think would secure me in my manhood. Um, but somewhere along the way, while I wasn't paying attention, it was stolen from me. I realized it the other day when I was driving. I was going someplace that wasn't a familiar place where I was headed, and just kind of in my subconscious, without even thinking about it, I asked that little woman that lives in my phone, I asked her for directions. Now, we know that men aren't supposed to ask for directions, right? But the worst thing was, when I asked that little person in my phone, when I asked her for directions, I listened. And I, I just humbly sat there, unashamed. I didn't talk back. I didn't assert myself at all. I just sat there like a little milksop and did exactly what she told me to without even putting up a word of defense. Okay, there I, I confessed it. I know, I know you're disappointed in your pastor. I can see it on the looks on your face. I know you probably think less of me. But I admit it. I freely admit it. I ask for directions, and most of the time, I listen. You know why I listen? You know why I ask directions? You know why I use that GPS in my phone? I ask directions, and I listen to those directions, because there are far too many times that I have ended up in places where I wasn't trying to go. <laughs> where I set in my mind that I wanted to go a certain place, and then I ended up someplace completely different. Like the time years ago when I turned out of, I can tell you how many years ago, it was the old Bush Stadium in St. Louis. And if you're familiar with that at all, if you turn one way, you can get to civilization. If you turn the other way, you can get yourself in all kinds of trouble, especially after dark, especially if you're in a big red F-250 hillbilly truck. Needless to say, I was a little concerned as I was driving around East St. Louis. So from things like that, I've learned that GPS is my friend. Wouldn't it be nice if we had GPS for life? Wouldn't it be nice if, if when you're headed down the wrong path in life that all of a sudden a voice would pop up in the back of your head that said recalculating if the next available opportunity make a U-turn? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, here's, here's the reality. We've got something better than GPS, don't we? we we've got God's Word. We've got God's Spirit living in us, shining His light on His Word that He inspired for us. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ to help guide us along the way and kind of keep us on that path along the way. We've already got that. But the problem comes when we stop listening. The problem comes when we resist that. The problem comes when we decide to go our own way. The problem comes when we decide to take our own path. And in our passage this morning, 
we see that that's what Solomon did. Now, the Lord had blessed Solomon with an incredible amount, a mind-blowing amount of wisdom, but he used that wisdom to travel his own way, to travel his own path. And here, toward the end of his life, he describes it, he looks back on that, and he describes that as chasing after the wind. As his pursuit for meaning in life, as that progressed, he chased down the wind of four paths. The first path that he tried was the path of pleasure. Look back at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Solomon says, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Behold, this was also, this also was vanity. I said of laughter is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart to know how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Wasted away again in Margaritaville, looking for my lost shaker of salt. Okay, I didn't have to look that up. I'm sorry, I remember. But that's what he's describing here, isn't it? Laugh a little, enjoy yourself, have a, have a good time, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. How many people do you know that have gone or are going down that very same path? But it's not just the, the drinking and the sex and the drugs that he's pursuing here or that many people are pursuing here. It's even comedy clubs and rom-coms and sitcoms. He pursued laughter at all costs. Just just laugh ourselves into oblivion. Of course, with all of those things, they have to have a laugh track so that they remind us when we're supposed to laugh so that we can numb ourselves with the laughter. If you can laugh hard enough, often enough, and wash it down with just a little bit of wine, you can surely dull the meaninglessness of life. Surely there's meaning and purpose in that, isn't there? But, you know, us good folks in here, we're, we're too sophisticated for that, right? We're, we're too, that's for other people who chase after those things for pleasure. We'd, we'd never try to find significance down those paths, would we? We're far too good for that. Well, if we're not going to chase down that path of pleasure, maybe we're trying to go down the path of productivity. Look at verses 4 through 7. He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Boy, Solomon was a great success, wasn't he? Can't you just imagine his mama Bathsheba walking down the aisle at Walmart and running into one of her friends? I don't know if they had Walmart in Jerusalem, but Walmart's everywhere. So, But can you imagine she's just walking down the, down the aisle with and runs into one of her friends? Hey Bathsheba, how's that boy of yours doing? Puffs up just a little bit. Oh, Solomon, you know, he's doing great. He, he's into contracting, you know. 
Oh, and he dabbles in a little forestry and a little conservation, and he does some farming and some ranching. He's into a little bit of everything. It seems like everything he touches just, just turns to gold. And he's got a whole crew of people that's working for him. Oh, honey, you must be so proud of him. You ever run into one of those conversations? Can't you just picture that? See, instead of all the stigma and the disgrace that can come from pursuing life down the path of pleasure, this path of productivity, well, that can come with pride, can it? It can come with status, not stigma. It can come with a lot of boasting. After all, who doesn't want to be successful? It's the American dream, right? We all want to be successful. We all want to have things and do things and make things and build things. It's that path of productivity. Well, Solomon, he, he ran down that path farther than anybody. He had, he had accomplished more than anyone before him. He had his name on more projects than Robert C. Byrd. I mean, he had his name everywhere. But there's a funny thing about productivity, isn't it? No matter how productive you are, there's always something more to do, isn't there? Have you ever built something? If, you're, if you've ever built a house, you know that you can build that house and it can be it can be pristine, it can be everything that you want at the time that you build it, and then before you know it, stuff starts breaking. And stuff goes out of date and stuff goes out of style. It doesn't take long before the stuff that you built that you had so much pride in begins to deteriorate. For those of you who are gardeners, you know what that feels like, right? You plant your garden and you and you take the care to get the soil just right and you do all of that and you get and then something comes along and eats it. Or you get a blight, or you just get a drought. All of the wonderful productivity that we can take so much pride in and that we can take so much satisfaction in and that we can even brag about, all of that kind of productivity, it can be gone like that. Solomon walked the path of pleasure and the path of productivity. Next, he tried the path of prosperity. Verses 8-11. through 11. He says, I also gathered for myself... Notice how many times he says myself through this passage. He says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expended in doing it, and behold, it was all vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. You know, if there was a line to sign up up for this one, sign up for prosperity, that line would go around the block, wouldn't it? And if you doubt that it would go around the block, just look the next time, just... Look at the convenience stores the next time that the, that the Powerball Lotto gets up to a certain number, right? People are lined up out the door, they're lined up around the block, and it's not for a quarter mil. People line up for the idea, just the thought of prosperity 
people want to be rich. You know, people have said that, well, you know, money can't buy happiness, but it sure can give you a good time on the way to misery. Right? And that's the way people think. They just, they, they, that's what thought Solomon thought. Solomon was filthy rich. He had more than anybody. He had enough money that it didn't matter what stuff cost. He, he didn't walk into the, to the, to the store and look at the price tags, did he? If he saw it, if he wanted it, he bought it. After all, he worked hard for all that he had. I worked hard all my life for that retirement money. Now it's time to do what I want. Ever heard that attitude? Vacations, RVs, boats, trips, cruises. If you spend your life chasing after those things, then you just might get to a point in your life where you look back and you say that you've wasted your life. That's where Solomon was. Solomon realized that his striving for pleasure and productivity and prosperity, all those things that he was pursuing under the sun, he looked back on his life and realized that it was vain, that it was in vanity. So he tried the path of posterity. Verses 12 through 16. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what's already been done. Then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than darkness. The wise person has has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? As I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. And if you circle in your Bible, that's a good phrase to circle. There's no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. I just turned 52 this week. And something happens when you cross that threshold of 50. I'm slow, so it's just catching up to me here two years later. You know, you all of a sudden you start to realize that when you're in a gathering of preachers and they're wanting to hear the thoughts and the opinions of the young preachers, they don't look at you anymore. And they begin to talk of you like they say things like, well, uh, let, let's, let's find out what the experienced preachers think. You know what that means, right? That's just a nice euphemism for being old. <laughs> Let's talk to the old goats, try to give them a voice. And you realize when, when police officers and doctors, when, when those folks start looking like teenagers to you, you realize that something's happened in your life. You know, I, I got to the point, I realized you know, probably just uh, not too long ago, that I couldn't even refer to myself as middle-aged anymore. And that really breaks your heart when you can't even refer to yourself. I just I think I skipped that whole part of middle-aged. The only way I could refer to myself as middle-aged is if I was planning on living to 104. I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> right? But you start to come to these realizations. Something happens as you get older. And as you get older, you begin to look at not only the things that you are accomplishing for your life or the things that you're striving for, but you begin to think about what you're going to leave behind. 
you begin to start thinking about legacy. I was talking to a pastor a few weeks ago who's planning on retiring in the next uh, in the next several months. And and as he was talking about retiring, he started listing off all of the things at his church that he thought would continue, would go on after he retired. And as he was saying that, I I, I didn't say it, but it just kept going through my head that brother, you have no idea. You have no idea what's going to happen. See, it's natural to want to leave a legacy. Solomon was wanting to leave a legacy. He was thinking about those things at this time in his life. But what was Solomon's legacy? If you're familiar with the rest of the Old Testament, you know what his legacy was. What what did Solomon's kids do when he was gone? Solomon's son Rehoboam was the heir to the throne. Rehoboam took this magnificent kingdom that Solomon had built and because of his stubbornness and because of his just being plain obnoxious, it split right down the middle. It didn't even split right down the middle. Ten tribes ran off and all he had was two tribes to rule over. And then not just Rehoboam, but within just a few generations, all of the wealth, all of the buildings, all of the things that Solomon had accomplished in his life were squandered within just a few generations. Here's the reality. You can't take any of it with you when you die. And from the moment that your eyes close in death, you have no say over what anything happens, no matter what kind of trusts or wills or any of those kind of things that you set up. You cannot control things from the grave. Now, you can make all the plans you want to, but you no longer have a say when your voice is silenced in death. Like our passage says, there is no enduring remembrance. In the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. So there's four paths under the sun. The path of pleasure, the path of productivity, the path of prosperity, and the path of posterity. Everything under the sun... Everything, whether it's the commercials that you see or whether it's the the actions throughout life, everything in life is trying desperately to persuade you to come down each one of those paths. One of those paths. You're being continually drawn down one of those four paths in life. But under the sun, where do those paths lead us? Those four paths lead us to four destinations that we see throughout the rest of the chapter. The first destination that those paths lead us is hatred. Look at verses 17 through 19. Starting verse 17. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toil and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. How can the man who had it all, how can the man who had all the wisdom and all the wealth and all the women and all the everything, how can that man say that he hated life? When you have all the pleasure that money can buy, how in the world can you hate life? 
When, when you have all the success and all the fame and all the prosperity that's possible, how in the world can you hate life? When you've got your family and your friends set up financially for generations to come, when you're secure and you know that your family is secure, how in the world can you hate life? Easy. You can hate life when you're only living for the things that are, that are under the sun. When you're living only for your own pleasure, the party's got to end sometime, doesn't it? The hookups and hangovers and shattered relationships, all of those things begin to catch up with you. The stuff that you've built, the stuff that you've that, that you spent your life investing in and building and growing and developing, all of that stuff that you worked hard for falls down eventually or gets replaced. People don't have a clue what you went through to get those things through there. And when people don't have a clue what you did to earn those things or to develop those things or to grow those things, it can eat away at you like acid. Who do they think they are? I hate them for that. I hate the work that I wasted on them. I hate my life. That's where it ends up. That's the first destination. The second destination is despair. Look at verses 20 and 21. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. Now, not everybody who who pursues life down one of those four paths. Not everybody ends up just boiling in hatred. Solomon started in hatred, but he just settled down into despair. And you feel that despair all the way through this book. We would call it depression. It's hard to think about a great man like Solomon falling into depression, isn't it? But here he is at the end of his life, and that's where he is as he's looking back on all the ways that he's wasted his life. He's just sinking into a pit of despair and depression. Listen, folks, depression is real. It's a real thing. Sometimes it's a chemical thing with your brain, something broken like a broken bone that needs to be fixed with with medical attention. That's what it is sometimes. But whether it's a physical thing or not, depression can be caused by trying to chase life vainly down each one of those paths. Because that's where they end up is despair. When you pour your heart and your soul into your work and some bean counter replaces you with somebody that's younger and cheaper, it can lead to despair and depression. can it? Solomon said it's vanity and a great evil. You chase the wind down those four paths. The destruction can be hatred. It can be despair. It can also be restlessness. Look at verses 22 and 23. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart in which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. I looked up a statistic the other day. The CDC 
Centers for Disease Control reports that 50 to 70 million Americans suffer from sleep disorders or sleep deprivation. Somewhere between 50 and 70 million Americans have diagnosable sleep problems. Why do you think that is? I think it's because we've been told over and over again to chase the wind down those four paths of pleasure, productivity, prosperity, and posterity. And we've been chasing those things as hard as we can, as fast as we can. And when we run down those paths to try to find meaning and significance and still don't find it, the only solution that we have because we're listening to the world under the sun, the only solution that we have is to run faster and to run harder and to keep chasing and keep chasing, and maybe one day we'll catch the wind. Maybe I just need some more productivity apps on my phone. Maybe that'll help. Maybe if I read Seven Habits one more time, maybe that'll help. Maybe if I just comb through the productivity blogs or just just listen to some more productivity podcasts, maybe if I read more books or, or learn more, maybe if I go to more seminars or if I get more training or if I just work harder, Work harder, read more, take more classes, more seminars. Maybe if I just just blow out all of the leisure time in my schedule. Maybe if I just have better time management. Maybe that'll be the answer. See, all of those things, some of those things that sometimes can be helpful, but all of those things can be like stirring a boiling pot. When you stir a boiling pot, it certainly doesn't calm it down, does it? When you stir a boiling pot, all it does is it just continues to add to the constant state of turmoil and anxiety and restlessness. Even in the heart, even in the night, your heart does not rest. It's vanity. But as bad as hatred and despair and restlessness, restlessness are, the final destination is far worse. And that's the destination of confusion. Look at verses 24 through 26. He says, There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. He gets real religious here, doesn't he? 25, For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner... He has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. You know, everybody's a theologian. Sometimes I can see your eyes glaze over when I start to use theology and theological words. And and I know many of you can start thinking, well, you know, that's for seminary people to be theologians. No, everybody's a theologian. Everybody is, whether they're in church or not. The only difference is is whether you're a good theologian or whether you're a bad theologian. If you're a good theologian, you base your understanding, your theology, your understanding of God on His Word, as revealed on His truth as revealed in His Word. If you're a bad theologian, you base your thoughts about God on what you observe or what you feel or what you think or your own wisdom. That's what Solomon was doing here. He was basing his thoughts about God on what he was observing under the sun. 
And what was his conclusion? His conclusion, he said, since everything under the sun is vanity and it leads to hatred and despair and restlessness, I'm going to conclude that the very best that we can do is just hold on and enjoy the ride as long as we can. That was his theological conclusion. He said, God made everything purposeless and vain, so just suck it up, buttercup, and hold on till it's over. Do the best with it you can. After all, he said, if... If we please God by making the best of this mess that He's left to us, He'll reward you with stuff, wisdom and knowledge and joy. But if you don't please Him, then He's going to punish you by giving all your stuff to somebody else. Now, does that sound biblical at all? Is that a biblical understanding of God? No. That's a whole lot more like karma than it is about the God of the Bible. Where do you think that that heretical prosperity gospel, why do you think that that's so popular in the world today? The reason that that prosperity gospel junk stuff is so popular in our world today is because it teaches us that it's God's job to take us down those four meaningless paths. That it's God's job to take you down the road of pleasure, down the road of Prosperity down the road of productivity and down the road of posterity. They teach you that that's God's job, that it's His obligation to do for you. That's theological confusion. That's basing your understanding of God on what we see under the sun and not what He's revealed in His Word. Now, theological confusion is the worst destination of all because it leads you, falsely leads you down those paths suggesting that it's God who's drawing you down those paths. And that makes their destinations infinitely worse. See, if you think God is the one who's drawing you down those paths and you begin to see how vain those paths are, then it can develop in you hatred of God and hatred of His church. And don't we see that everywhere? It it can develop in you spiritual despair and spiritual hopelessness. Because I thought God was going to give me these things, but He's given them to somebody else. And I don't know what to do. It can bring on guilt and anxiety and restlessness. How many times have I sat with someone who... Who's, who wasn't being healed and they thought that it was because, they had been taught that it was because they didn't have enough faith. That they didn't do enough. Well, it can lead to anxiety and restlessness and guilt and more and more and more confusion. And all of that, when taken to its logical ends, can only lead to the final destination of hell which Jesus described as weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen to me. Everything under this sun is trying to lead you down the empty paths of pleasure and productivity and prosperity and posterity. Just as an exercise sometime when you're sitting there mindlessly watching television, just write down those four categories. And as you watch the commercials, Just list which commercial fits under which category. Because they're all trying to pull you in the direction 
of those empty, vain paths. But I'm here to tell you, on the authority of the Word of God, there is a better path than any of those. And that's the path of purpose. The path of purpose. See, when Paul was in prison and he was about to die, he was in the same, uh, the, the same reflective mood that Solomon was in. He, he was looking back on his life and, and looking back on all the things that he had accomplished in his life. And as he was reflecting back on his life, his reflection was a whole lot different than Solomon's was. This is what he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. When he was looking back, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. His reflection on his life was a whole lot different, wasn't it? So let me ask you, what's your purpose in life? What are you here for? Is it to enjoy life and have the most fun that you you can have? I think the fault of my generation and the previous generation in raising our kids was if you would ask us what we wanted for our kids more than anything, the typical answer was, oh, I just want them to be happy. And we see where that's gotten us, right? Is your purpose in life just to be happy, have the most pleasure that you can? Is your purpose in life to work hard and be as productive as you can? Is your purpose in life to make a whole lot of money and be as prosperous as you can? Is your purpose in life to leave a legacy and set up your kids and set up your grandkids to be as happy and productive and prosperous as they can be so that they can chase down the same vain roads that you've been chasing down? Is that your purpose in life? See, in and of themselves, none of those things are bad things. And that's where we go off the rail on the other on the other end, that's where you can fall in the ditch on the other end, is if we begin to think of the, these things as bad things. No, they're not bad things in and of themselves, but they are horribly destructive things when they are the primary things or the only things to you. If any of those things are your purpose in life, then you're running down paths that will only lead you and your family to hatred, despair, and restlessness, and confusion. So one day as you're looking back on your life, is that what you want to look back on? Is that what you want your kids or your grandkids or your co-workers or your classmates to learn from you? Or do you want them to see a higher purpose in your life? See, there's no greater purpose in your life than to stop chasing the wind and start chasing Jesus. Yes, we're called to chase, but we're not called to chase after these vain distractions. We're called to chase after Jesus, chase hard after Him. His joy is greater than any kind of pleasure that you can possibly find under the sun. In Christ, you are free to do all the work as productively as you can, all the work that He has created you to do. There's no greater productivity than that. Jesus' eternal prosperity is prosperity that won't be corrupted by moth or rust, and thieves can't steal it. And 
And those things can't destroy it. The stock market won't make a dent in it. His prosperity is eternal prosperity. What about posterity? What about legacy? What better legacy can you leave behind than the godly legacy of faith? Passing the good news of Jesus Christ down to your children and down to your grandchildren and passing the good news of Jesus Christ on to your neighbors and throughout the nation so that they might trust Jesus themselves and join you in heaven one day. There is no greater legacy than you can possibly leave behind than that. So what do you want to leave behind? What do you want to one day look back on? What are you looking back on now? Are you looking back on vanity? Or are you looking back on victory? See, the beautiful thing is, as long as we're drawing breath, it's never too late. It's never too late. This morning, you can, whatever path you're on, you can leave that path. You can choose to leave that path you're on and start heading down the path of purpose. But that does require that you turn around. And turning around means that you have to make a conscious effort to turn from whatever it is that you're chasing under the sun to turn and start chasing after Jesus. Turn from chasing the wind and turn to chasing Jesus in faith, believing that His purpose is the path that you want to walk down. Now, if you have questions about how to do that, then as we sing this song here in just a minute, I'm going to ask that you would come and talk to me during the invitation. But here's what you need to realize. You need to realize that Jesus' path is in front of you. All you have to do is turn to Him and chase after Him.